Yes. So this is something kind of new we're trying out. Uh, on, on the line today, you've got me, Cliff, as per usual. There's no Adam today, but Adam might be a part of this eventually. He was just super busy today. You also have... The Dylan. The Dylan. Uh, and then as a uh, someone who you've heard before, but only once, uh, like 50 episodes ago, you also have our friend Hans. Hi. How you doing, guys? There he is. So um, Hans and I have known each other for, oh, geez, I'm going to say 15 years. And uh, when we started doing this podcast, uh, he's like, dude, we should do a, like a special edition that is just about retro games. And I'm like, that would be great. Um, and it's taken us about 90 episodes to make that happen. <laughs> Um, but the idea is that this is going to be a regular feature we do probably about once a month. It's going to be probably about a half hour long. And uh, I'm not going to say it's going to be like every Monday, the you know first Monday of every month, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be about once a month when we have time to do it. <laughs> so it takes a little bit of co- coordination. Um, Hans is obviously not here. He's in a very, very different time zone than we live in. And, uh, you know, we're all very busy. Anyway, uh, we're going to call this, I think, 8-Bit Bytes for now. It's a working title. We'll see how it goes. And uh, we'll go from there. So I think we're going to start out as uh, we sometimes do uh, with some news. It's, it's, it's derivative. It works. Yeah. Uh, do you want to run us through these, uh, the start of these news, uh, these news items here, uh, Hans? Sure. So the first one, I think we kind of have to go back to Troll Corner, right? So Dylan will be happy about this. And we're going to put Nintendo there right next to Sony this time. <laughs> they Although can Sony share. could be the good guy. Um, so Nintendo has filed lawsuits against some of the emulation websites out there. The and guys, you know, that have ROM sites. So Emu, Par- well, Emu Paradise and places like that. And it's already and shut down actually, too, right? A few right? of them have closed down because yeah. of this. Yeah. Um, it happened in late July. And uh, it's not a good thing, or it could be a good thing. I mean, we can discuss that, right? So in my mind, I'm real into game preservation, right, and all these old games and looking at moving forward how we'll get to play these old games. And, you know, we've talked about – I've heard you guys talk about many times how Nintendo has this wealth of games that they're not doing anything with, and people want to play them, right? Yep. So, And I think – Slowly, you're killing the virtual console. The problem with it is is that it's it's an extremely legal gray area. Like, Nintendo – Technically, like if you want to get down to like technically has all the legal right to do what they're doing. Um, They own these games. They own the license to these games. They own all that stuff. So they can legally go out to a ROM site saying probably it's probably a DMCA kind of takedown thing, I would guess. um, And say, hey, you know, you can't do that. And I get that. But the other side of this is, is where else can you get them? I mean, you can buy an NES Classic and you can get 30 games out of the hundreds yeah four or five hundred games that were on the nes and you can't you just can't get them any other way except by going to uh you know used game stores and trying to pick them up but i mean there's also games for the nes that cost i mean you might know better than i do hans but hundreds of dollars thousands of dollars oh yeah there are some that are in the thousands now because they're so rare but you'll never be able to get Uh, and and the reality is is that they're in a medium that that degrades over time. Like the contacts on an NES cartridge degrade over time. Eventually you will not be able to buy new NES hardware to play that on. I mean, you can go buy an NES today, but will you be able to go buy an NES 10 years from now, 20 years from now as they break down and the parts break down? And, you know, they're, that's a consumer electronic. So what's... Uh, that, that's true. However, I, I personally, you know, being the retro guy, I am, yeah. would say that a, an old school Nintendo is actually easier to fix... And has less degradation than, say, a PlayStation. True. Because CDs 
have a known shelf life, right? Exactly. I mean, CDs you bought in the 90s, if you look at them now, might be falling apart, right? Yeah, I don't they, think a they, lot of – They corrode over time, whereas uh, an NES cartridge, the data is always going to be there, right? It's it's on a chip. As long as you can clean those contacts and even resolder new contacts on them, uh, you can get it working. Yeah, so. and, and I think that's one thing that people don't realize. But, I mean, that that's really our next yeah, stage of preservation too is that – you know, the the games that you bought, any CD, people all the time, you know, oh, I back up all my photos to CD. I'm like, well, that's awesome. But those those photos won't be there, especially if you're burning those CDs. You know, a pressed CD lasts for like what? Starts to grade after 10 years, 15 years? I think that's about the number. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. A, a burn CD? CD is much worse. Maybe five? And so it's just not a good medium. But, I mean, neither here nor there. Eventually it'll – well, I mean, I guess that's a question. So you – Hans is a big – uh, like his, he 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 came to me because he is actually the guy that knows stuff about these old games. He he uh, maintains uh, how many how many things do you have in your arcade now? I have twenty five different games in that's my arcade. Incredible. So these are the you know stand up arcade games from the eighties and nineties, and that's stuff that he's bought. And, you know that's and refurbed. Oh, go ahead, Cliff. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm just saying that you know those are the those are games that you buy not always working perfectly, and that you have to actually go in and repair things and replace things, and and those parts are they. Are they relatively commodity? I mean, are is is a part for an arcade game very specific to an arcade game, or is it you know transistors that you could buy for anything? Most of the parts are off the shelf electronics that you can repair. There are some parts that are more hard to come by. However, with the you know, advent of the internet and three D printers and people you know getting into this hobby, there's a lot more things. There's a lot more reproductions out there that you can buy. Um, but in in this world, you know, referring to these ROMs, the reason you call them a ROM when they they actually pull these games, all these ROMs have come from an actual arcade game. So someone actually got into an arcade game uh, for the arcade versions of these ROMs. You know, if you're yeah. using MAME or whatever, you know, they've gotten into the arcade game, taken each chip off a board and copied it from its chip into memory, and then made a file out of it. Now. The reason this kind of scares me is I have a number of different Nintendo games, arcade games, and I have actually, my Donkey Kong, I was able to find the ROMs, legally or not, on the internet, and burn those onto chips onto a motherboard that wasn't working, and I was able to resurrect my Donkey Kong with these ROMs. Yeah. So, I, you know, we were talking about it before, but I worry that that could be, you know, that if that goes away for me, I'm in trouble or have the possibility of being in trouble as these boards, you know, the, the boards don't degrade over time. Usually um, as long as you keep replacing the capacitors and things yeah. like that. However, they're rarer and rarer and harder to find. Well, and I, I think the the preservation of these kind of things is something that we need to start thinking about now because uh, like, it's something that people didn't think about for like movies and television. You know, um, we're at a point now where we need to start thinking about preservation of, of, games from the 70s and 80s and 90s because in the 60s and 70s when TV and movie was, well, probably more movies were at the same age that video games are now, they didn't think about that. And there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of movies and uh, TV and stuff that just don't exist anymore. Um, and, and not just things that nobody cares about. Um, you know, there are, are hundreds of, of important movies, things that have won Oscars that you literally can't get a print of nowadays um, that will never be on DVD, will never be on Blu-ray. Um, 
and will never exist digitally. And that's that's sad. It's sad that someday I won't be able to show me, you know, if, if this doesn't change. I mean, and Mario is a terrible example because Mario will probably always exist. But, uh, you know, lesser games that you remember. You know, burger time. Burger time. You, you remember going to a, you remember very distinctly, I was young and I went to the local video store, which for me was a place called Good Time Video. And, you know, your parents took you when you were 12 and you rented this game and it was so cool. And you, you rented that game over and over and over again. But maybe it wasn't a huge game. Maybe it wasn't super popular. Maybe it wasn't whatever. And so it didn't get those re-releases onto a virtual console or re-release onto a, you know, NES Mini or whatever. And and that game, I just maybe, you know, I might not be able to show that to my grandchildren. Um, and that's sad. Yeah. I, I wonder, too, because correct me if I'm wrong, you could put this whole library of games in a very, very small amount of space nowadays yeah. right so oh, why definitely why can't they be somewhere i don't even if it's behind a paywall i don't i don't care but like why why not like they're already there anyway so you know it's not like this huge logistical nightmare to to catalog these old games somewhere like so where why not well and i think that that's a, another point too is that if nintendo's gonna say hey you can't put these out on the internet where anyone can get them, then at the very least, Nintendo needs to say, we're giving these games over to a third-party organization that is funded, or, you know, we're going to fund, we're going to get together with Sony and Microsoft and Atari and, you know, all these these places that have been around forever, and we're going to create a nonprofit organization and their entire goal, and I mean, granted, this nonprofit organization already exists. Um, there, There is a, I wish I could remember their name, but they do some great work with game preservation. Um, you know, we're going to create. I was going to get to that in a second. Okay. Do you, do you remember what they're called? Because I don't remember what they're called offhand. Well, there's the Internet Archive. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about. And so if you go to archive.org, that's. Yeah, and there's actually another an, another one that's been doing a lot of work, and they've actually been doing a lot of work with archiving um, not only the games themselves, but also trying to get uh, games that never were finished um, or, game, uh, you know, create, keeping the box art, keeping, you know, the manuals, that kind of stuff too. But either way, there's there's people already doing this, but either Nintendo should fund them and say, hey, we're going to give these to you. You can't give them to anyone else, but we want to make sure they're safe. We want to make sure that, you know, these will be available for future generations. We want to say that when we're putting out the 50th anniversary of the Nintendo Classic, because you know they'll do it, um, that we're going to be able to get these that, you know, we're trusting those to someone else and you're going to put them in a, a climate controlled, you know, I mean, not climate controlled because it's digital, but you know what I mean? That we're going to get backups that these things are going to be safe and they've, they've got to do one or the other. Either they've got to be responsible for the archiving of these, or they've got to let other be, people be responsible for the archiving of these. And so that's, you know, we talk about Nintendo being bad guys and, you know, we'll, we'll stay with that. Cause I think, you know, in this, we, we've kind of talked that to death, yeah. but just recently, a few months ago, Nintendo, uh, they put on, if you go to your Switch right now and search for Skyskipper, mm-hmm. you can download this game. They actually put it on the Switch. This game last year was found by some guys from a couple different podcasts um, that I listened to, some arcade podcasts, and they found that there are 12 of these ever made, right? Wow. So Nintendo made this arcade. They made 12 of them. They found it didn't work out very well. It didn't sell it was the end of the arcade boom, the first one in the 80s, um, and they put them in storage. Uh, these guys found this game. They went to Nintendo. They said, hey, we want to restore Skyskipper. We want to make a Skyskipper cabinet. We want to uh, get the artwork. We want to make this what it originally was. And people at Nintendo actually said, oh, that would be great. Yeah. By the way, we have a Skyskipper cabinet sitting in our warehouse. You can scan. 
Oh, it's crazy. So they were able to scan the art and they got the proper licenses working with Nintendo. And they're actually now they're remaking 12 copies of this game again oh, that's with cool. the actual motherboards that were originally made. And, and makes- they've printed the art. They've redone the cabinets. They've made it real nice, all with Nintendo's blessing. So much so that Nintendo put it out on the Switch. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's so, a, another thing to think about, too, is that we talk about this being a problem with Nintendo and so on and so forth. But like, there are games now that they can't re-release because no one knows who owns them. Um, you know, video game companies go out of business. Video game companies get absorbed into other companies. You know, all those things like um, the SWAT series, which, you know, I don't know here nor there whether it's good or uh, No One Lives Tomorrow. No One Lives Forever. Forever. They can't sell that game because no one knows who owns it. They can't make a sequel to that game because nobody knows who owns it. And so that game could just die forever and never be available. They can't put it on GOG because literally no one who no one knows who owns the license for it and no one's willing to pay for the law, you know, the lawyers and the copyright people and the trademark people to find out who actually does own that. It's really, it's terrible. Yeah, they're actually, speaking of that, I don't know if you guys remember the game Star Control, uh-huh. but there there are two people that now believe that if you go search this, you know, Google it, there are two groups of people that believe they have the license still for Star Control and they made games, competing games, and now they're in big lawsuits. Oh, geez. One of the game was actually, one of the versions of Star Control two or a remake of that was actually finished and ready for release. And then another, the other group that thought they had the rights came out and started fighting them. So, you know, you even get to that point where everybody thinks they have the rights. It's just a mess. Anyway, well, I'm sure this is a, a, I doubt this is the last we've heard of this. I think this is going to be a a reoccurring conversation on this podcast just because it it never goes away. It's going to be a problem until someone steps up and figures it out and no one appears to be willing to yet. So, Anyway, uh, next up. And I'm, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, I, before we move on, I just wanted to mention there are some good companies out there working with the Internet Archive at archive.org. If you search the Internet Arcade. It's cool. On, ar- on archive.org, you can find and play in your browser tons of old school arcade games. And I think actually there's Commodore 64 games and all kinds of different games. So a lot of the companies, Sega included, has actually given rights or allowed the archive.org to archive and make these playable. Now, is is that are those games all 100% legal or is it just the archive? Because I, I know archive.org sometimes will also just put up things that they believe to be legal and wait to be legally challenged. Do you know the percentage versus either? No. Yeah. But, I, I mean, they're, you know, either I'm way, who cares? They, uh, get away with it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, or, you know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. This I'm is, sorry. No, no, you're fine. This is going to be a little weird podcast, too, because obviously he's not here. We used to be able to talk to each other. So maybe next maybe next week we'll have to get you on video chat, too. We could do that, too. Oh, yeah. That'd be great. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the uh, the arcade one-up classics? I saw those being advertised. I think GameStop was pretty cool. Yeah, so GameStop, Walmart, Best Buy... Bed Bath and Beyond. Walmart right now is the best place to get them because they're two ninety nine. But what these are, um, these are fully licensed, so no worries there. Um, and if you go to the uh, arcade, the number one up dot com, you can see they're actually releasing in the end of September five separate cabinets. And these cabinets are, they like to make them look large. They're about two thirds. Maybe a little less the size of a normal arcade yeah, cabinet. I heard they were like three quarter um, size. Do you, do you have any idea what yeah. size that is? Because like it would be it like shows right. There's a little picture here. Um, oh yeah. So if so you it's sit 45. down on a stool, 8 one person, tall. 
which I don't know how that compares to a normal size machine. But that's real cute. Anyway, so they're 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 about that size, but they so, go ahead. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say, you know, they're 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 retailing for two ninety nine, and each one has authentic controls, just like the you know original game did, um, and. Also, they have three or four games on each, right? So the Street Fighter Two version has like four versions of Street Fighter. Uh, Galaga has the original. What what came before Galaga? Galaxian. Because that was uh, my Rampage. Qu- Rampage is a little weird because it has Gauntlet and Joust, and Gauntlet <laughs> is normally a two or four player game. So I'm not sure how they're going to do that. Um, but they're supposedly uh, well emulated on some kind of custom hardware that Arcade One Up, you know, hasn't talked yeah. much about. It's probably um, just a Raspberry Pi. It seems like pie. they're committed. They've gotten tons of pre-orders for these. They are flat packs, so they just ship to your house and you build them, kind of like IKEA arcade furniture, <laughs> as it were. I love um, that idea. They they do have 17-inch LCDs in them, uh, and you can actually supposedly, according to their website, add scan lines and make it look more like the original CRTs did. Uh, and a 17-inch monitor sounds kind of small, but most of the original arcade games only had 19-inch monitors. In really? Them, so it's, you know, not that big a difference. So being in a slightly smaller box, it probably won't feel any smaller. I, I love that the accessories... I assume. I have one pre-ordered, so we'll see. Oh, well, you'll have to let us know. We'll do, like, a video of it. It'll be cool. So I have, yeah. I have two questions. One, uh, you kind of answered it, um, which was funny, um, but... I always enjoyed Galaga and Galaxian, and I had no idea that they were actually related. Um, and you said Galaxian was the precursor? It was. Galaxian came out in 1979, and Galaga came out a year or so later. Oh, interesting. Um, See, that's why Hans is on the yeah. podcast. And Galaxian kind of started that top-down you know, shooter kind of moving upwards. Right, and I think that was the game I actually enjoyed playing more. Because I think I had a... Uh, uh, it was like the Namco Museum on N64. It had like Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, yeah. Galaga, Galaxian, like pole position and something else, I think. Um, but I remember playing both of those, but I think I always preferred Galaxian, which is interesting because it was the earlier game yeah. in that series, I guess, which I just found out today. That's that's fun. You're already I, learning things. I actually prefer Galaxian myself. That's the one I have in my collection. It actually has much better side art. So yeah, so Galaga, they were getting cheap and kind of putting them out. So it's just a sticker on the side of the cabinet. Whereas Galaga was actually a fully stenciled piece of art that took up the entire side of each, each side of the cabinet. Interesting. One of these has 1944 on it. That's one of my very, very, very favorite arcade games. Yeah. That's a, I apparently have good taste then if I prefer the better game. Um, <laughs> if you were talking to me, you do. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> now, well, I, a lot of people, Galaga is kind of the one everybody goes back to. So yeah. I to, always felt like I was the odd man out. To be frank, your opinion is the only opinion we care about. Yeah, you're the professional, so we defer to you. Um, now, do you think these are a good value? Like, I just mean, from a personal you know, opinion? It, I I think so. Like I said, I've got one pre-ordered. Um, they are lightweight. They're smaller. I mean, I, we'll see. I can't wait to get in my hands and see what, you know, this is kind of an experiment to see. So and I mean, uh, I'll let you know in a month or two when I get it, if it, if I think it's worth it. Um, I, is four games, five games for $300 worth it? Yeah. You know, it's not upgradable. So the five games or four games that come on it are what you get. Uh, and we'll see. But I mean, you know, that's like, you know, in my arcade, each game was 
about that or more, right? Yeah. And it's only each plays one game. So, and that's what I was gonna say. The reality of this is, yes, you could you could put together a custom one of these with you know a monitor and a cabinet and a Raspberry Pi and have access to a lot more games. But you know, the cost of that is not in you know that's not cheap. Like even right. if you do one of the kind of flat pack you know, uh, what do you call them? The bar top arcades. Bar tops. Those yeah. are still going to run you quite a few hundred dollars. Once and you, you have to, the labor costs yeah. for you to put it together. Has some, it, some sort of value. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. and that was my next point is, you know, how much is your time worth, right? How much messing around do you want to do with that raspberry Pi, mm-hmm. trying to get it just right and get the controllers synced yeah. up. Right. So this just works out of the box. Well, I would say for the average person too, that, the noob who doesn't no, <laughs> have carpentry just, skills or raspberry pi skills because i knew when i built one of those it took me quite a while to figure it out the first time i think that there's something to be said too for i would say the average person is going to get one of these they're going to play it the first day and go like hey that's kind of cool and it's going to be something they're going to play around with every once in a while when friends come over you're, you're having a couple you know a couple beers you're playing a couple arcade games and you're going to put in your 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 playroom or your garage or your whatever and it's not going to be something you're going to be you know jumping in every single day and, and working with so i think you know a couple hundred bucks purchase price you get you know the games you love and you probably have one of them and you probably play it you know once or twice a month it's probably it's probably worth it and the same would probably hold true if you had a raspberry pi so you may as well just get the, the easy one so i don't know some someday I'm going to get some sort of arcade game for my house. I just need a lot more room. Well, we can talk. I don't. I don't have a fun job. Real easy. No, no. I. You see, but you can't give me more room. You can. You can help me get an arcade game. You just can't <laughs> yeah. give me more room. It'd have to be in my living room right now. My wife's not going to let that happen. There's been a few times when arcades would have gone out of business around where we lived, and my buddies and I would always like. We're not at the right point in our lives where yeah. we had money because we were like in high school or whatever. But we were so tempted to take some of those games home to have like a time crisis at your house. Oh. Like, one, where am I going to put this giant cabinet? And I'm also 14 years old, <laughs> so I don't. My, my problem is an arcade cabinet won't fit in the back of my Hyundai Accent hatchback. Yeah. It's, it's I feel like not... they were incredible deals though because they had to get rid of them. Yeah. Like the uh, so, yeah. I wish I would have remembered what they were selling them for, but. Anyway. There were in the in the early '90s. They were, you know, arcades like you said were closing, and things were going incredibly cheap. I had a a friend pick up a 1983 Vector Star Wars for fifty bucks at auction, which you know those are now going for about twenty five hundred dollars. Wow! Because of the bar seat, you know, the barcade, the arcades coming back. There's a real desire for these games that yeah has driven the prices sky you know sky high. Unfortunately yeah. for us collectors that don't want to spend sky high prices. <laughs> so you have to get the crappy ones and build them yourself, repair them. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, that's what I do mostly. That's part of the fun though, right? I, I like, I, I tell everybody, you know, the only time I have the arcade on is when we have a party or people over, usually, you know, I'm fixing them. <laughs> you know, I don't play their games. I fix the game. That's cool. Your kids love it though. That's great. Anyways, I think it's cool. I think it's really cool. Every time I see, you know, a picture of, you know, a bunch of kids gather around one of your arcade games. I think that's, that's great. It's just pushing it to a new generation. So especially because arcades, like I went to, to uh, Dave and Buster's the other day and I was really disappointed that the arcade games that I remember don't exist at Dave and Buster's anymore. 90% of those games, I mean, once you get past the games that are just like to give out tickets, 95% of those games are a game where you hold a gun and shoot at a bad guy. Right. And I was disappointed. Not, not like I don't have any problem with those games. It's not like I'm like, oh god, they're so violent or horrible. It's just like I I can play one of those and go like that was fun. And right. then after that, you know, I want to go play something else. And Dave and Buster seems like a lot of fun. I have a really bad Dave and Buster story, which I won't go into, so I didn't really get to play uh, the did. games. 
Did I tell that yeah, on, the told podcast? on the podcast? Yeah. Yeah, oh, it was terrible. Yeah. Um, and it's fun, but it doesn't quite. It it is a big arcade, but it doesn't really have that arcade feel yeah, either. It doesn't, it doesn't quite do what arcades did yeah. when when growing yeah. up. So. Oh well. Anyway, uh, I think we'll uh, we'll move off in news now. I think we said there's going to be a 30 hour podcast, and we're already at like 23 minutes. So, or th- maybe it's going to be a 30 hour podcast, 30 minute podcast. Uh, and what we just want to talk about is a little bit about why we care about retro games, and uh, not as like a gatekeeping kind of thing, but just how we got into those and, and why we appreciate them. Um, and I'm going to let uh, Hans start out, just because this dude's got a background in, in retro games that goes from you know the 70s up until yesterday. So. Please, please go ahead. Tell us, tell us, tell us how you got into gaming and, and what your favorite retro games are. I mean, I think like a lot of us, you know, I grew up in the eighties when the arcades were very large and, you know, every pizza hut and every donut shop and bowling alley, almost everywhere, grocery stores, you know, arcade games were everywhere. Yep. Right. So I was just, you know, as a little kid, I was just enamored by them and it just, I mean, we still are. Right. And you see that with little kids today, even if, you know, the graphics aren't, you know, today's graphics. They're still enamored because it's this massive machine making all this great noise yep. and just pulls you in. Um, you know, and I just basically, there was a donut shop and a putt-putt, and I spent hundreds of dollars of my parents' money in both of those places. <laughs> and fell in love there, and then my father, you know, brought me home a Commodore 64 when I was 10. Must have been 10. And then, you know, it was over from there. You know, all my friends, I, you know, I collect the, the Nintendos now and the Super Nintendos and stuff, and I enjoy them. But it was always a blast because, you know, my friends had Nintendos, but I had the Commodore 64. And we play, you know, we play summer games and winter games and all the things like that. You know, instead of going to their house to play Mario, they were always wanting to come over to my house. That's so. funny. What, uh, um, what year do you think you got your Commodore in? I'm trying to put it in line with when I got mine. It would have been, oh, goodness, uh, 86-ish. Yeah, so I got my Let's Commodore see. in 82. Um, I was five. And all I wanted for Christmas that year was a Commodore. And, like, looking back, like, telling my parents, like, hey, what I want for Christmas in when I was five in 1982, that was a big ask. The fact that my parents actually, like, came through with that, like, those things were not inexpensive in 1982 dollars. Um, and same, Commodore 64 was my first first computer, first gaming system until I got a Nintendo, probably about the time you got your Commodore. So I probably got I probably got a, a my Nintendo in probably like 86, 87 would be my guess. But uh yeah, my my childhood years were defined by by Commodore 64 games. So so before we and just to just to let you know, your parents, you weren't kidding. That was a $600 machine when yeah. they bought it new. Yeah, 600 and bucks in 1982. That'd be like 1500. Yeah, that's a lot of money. And I mean and then, you know, granted they did it again when I was like 15 or 16, like we they bought me a, you know, a 46 that was like $2,200, $2,500, like, you know, people are, are very lucky now. Like, people complain about the price of a, an Xbox or complain about the price of a PlayStation. Like, those are are absolutely crazy inexpensive compared to what we paid for computers and even, like, NES and Super Nintendos in the uh, in the 80s. So, um, before Dylan starts, I'm, I'm curious about... What your what your favorite Commodore sixty four games are because we have this in common. I'm curious if we we like you know go over the top of each other. Um, so really, it Jumpman was oh, a big one back God, in the day. I love Jumpman, I did not and, put that on my list, but that game's so good. And uh, Hero, uh, the old Activision game where you had a helicopter backpack and laser eyes. I never played that. That's amazing. 
Yeah. And uh, Iridium, I think that's how you say it. That was a, was a side scroller, kind of like Defender. Nice. Yeah, I, I love Defender. I had a bunch of, I had like maybe eight Commodore 64 cartridges and then a bunch of stuff on disc. And I had Defender on, on cartridge and like Battlezone on cartridge, um, a couple other things. I was a huge fan of, uh, I love Moon Patrol, which I've played recently in the arcade and I'm garbage at it. I used to be so good at that game. Um, big fan of River Raid, um, which probably people know a little bit about today because the, the creator of that game actually was uh, awarded kind of a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Game Awards last year. Um, did you ever play Space Taxi? Yes. Oh, oh yeah. Space Taxi. I think everybody, that was kind of your, everybody had to play Space Taxi. Space Taxi. 64, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Space Taxi was real notable for me because the load time in that game was, I'm going to say like 10 minutes. Like you, you yeah. did your, you know, your load star comma eight comma one kind of thing. And then like went and had lunch and came back in that game would be loaded <laughs> in. Um, a huge Frantic Freddy uh, fan, um, which was notable. Uh, it was big for me because it was the one game my grandpa got uh, Commodore 64 too, and my dad talked him into one, which was weird because my grandpa was by that time probably in his 60s, um, but loved Frantic Freddy and loved like golf. I think literally the game was probably just called Golf or maybe Lynx. It was probably still made by Access Software, but uh, uh, he'd come play Frantic Freddy with me, and I don't think we ever got past like level five or six, but that game was real notable because the the theme songs for it were just ripped from like popular music. Um, and so when I was probably, I'm going to say 10 or 12, I was listening to the radio one day and the song came on. I'm like, what is, this is the Frantic Freddy song. Why, why, why are they playing Frantic <laughs> Freddy song? And it was just Don't Bring Me Down by ELO. Um, but all the levels for that were just MIDI rips of, of like popular music. So that was, that was cool for me. Um, and Beachhead 2 was one of my favorite games because it was one of the very first games that actually used synthesized voices. So it actually like talked, which was really cool. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah I, Beachhead 2 is a big one for oh, me, too. Stuff. Before we leave the Commodore 64, I, I will note, because everybody's putting a mini something out nowadays, uh, in October, October 9th, the mini C64 comes out. Is that good? Like, I mean, is it going to be good? I don't know. So they're saying you can load games on it. And I don't know how you're going to be able to do that. Support software updates via flash drive. So, hmm. But they ha- it comes with 64 games. Built oh. in, eh, eh. And it's super teeny hey, tiny. Kinda, I'm not sure. You know, every game we mentioned, I think Jumpman is in there and all the summer games, of course, but yeah, that's yeah, about course. it, you know. It's, yeah, I don't it's know. a pretty lackluster, I guess. I... Uh, I think the thing about it is, like, I can go back to Nintendo games and go, like, oh, this game's great. It's a little bit hard for me to go back to, like, Atari 2600 Commodore 64 games. Like, they they will hold my interest for a very short amount of time. Not because, like, graphically, obviously, they're not terrific, but I can kind of get past that. But they are so ridiculously difficult. Um, like, they are just unforgivingly difficult to someone who does not have the reaction times of a six-year-old anymore. Um, and I don't have the the will anymore to like practice them so anyway dylan like dylan is significantly younger than both of us yes <laughs> um i, I was think... not alive for anything you were just talking about <laughs> nor do i even have a clue what you were talking about <laughs> I, I got my commodore 64 let's see in 1982 that means i got it like uh 14 years before dylan was born <laughs> and to be honest i just googled a picture of a commodore 64 because i didn't really i didn't really know what like i've heard of it yeah. but i didn't realize it it's like a a weird beige box with the keyboard and that that is like the entire computer like the processor is inside that keyboard and then you had external disk drives yeah i'm just i'm i don't even know 
I don't really know what to say. It, it, they're real uh, weird. But but before disk drives, it was tape. That's what I was going to say. We actually right? talked so about you put a cassette tape. Like not and like physical cassette tape, like the same kind you could use, like you could record a concert on it, like a you know like like songs off the radio, and you could use it to load things into your video games. Um, there was actually radio stations that would play the noises. You could record them off the radio and then play them in your computer. That's so wild. <laughs> I remember you telling me about that one day. It's like. I used to get the Commodore magazine, and the back, like, 50 pages would just be, like, basic code that you could literally type into your computer, and it would make a game. How many so you, times did you do that? Absolutely never. <laughs> oh, I did at least two. I they, they were so it took, long. It did. It took forever. They were so long. And, I mean, also, you were a little, like, you're a couple years older than I am, I think. So I was pretty young. So, yeah. It, uh no, I like, or maybe more appropriately, I probably tried it a few times, but then got very, very discouraged by the amount of time it took. So, anyway, Dylan, tell us, tell us what your earliest. Uh... Okay, um, one, I just want to say, like, I don't know if that seems more advanced to me than some of the games nowadays. Like, you have like a magazine that pro- I, I don't know, like, right? It's a lot to wrap my head around. Um, but yeah, I guess. If I talk retro games, it's immediately like NES era yeah, that's because, fine. I mean, that came out still quite a ways before I was born, but it was in our household when I was born. I think for this so, for this podcast, like fair game is like probably through the end of SNES. That's that's retro, right? Okay. Um, when did that? What, what year was that? Where is that? Oh, SNES came out in. Let's see. The NES came out in I think eighty five. SNES came out in probably. 88, 89? I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Uh, um, 92 in America, it says. Oh, so a lot later than I, Jesus. I that's was, the year I was born, so. Um, <laughs> that's the year before I started high school. <laughs> um, yeah, so I played a lot of, I mean, Mario and Mega Man, basically, on the NES. And then in 97, like, I'm I'm jumping just to, to get an idea of where my video gaming was, begins. Yeah. Um, the N64 came out in 97 and i believe we had one pretty much when it came out i guess because my older brother um i guess that's probably the reason because it's not like my parents were playing it um (laughs) um and then games on there but like i said i had like the namco museum on the n64 so it let me experience some older games and then from there i guess it's the game boy color the next year which was the first time i probably got my own game because i think 98 was when that came out so i would have been in first grade I got my Game Boy Color with Pokemon Red and Blue, which is funny because those games haven't changed no. um, so, um, in all those years. But And then, I mean, arcade games. So, I, I mean, I have, that's probably really where the bulk of my retro gaming yeah. was, was NES and then actually experience some old games in the arcade. What's, what's your favorite arcade game? <sighs> what would I play when I went? Like, I don't know. It felt like I always kind of hopped around. And we had a smaller arcade yeah. in Enumclaw, Washington. Yeah. Um, 12 Stars Fun Center, I oh. believe it was called. I had a few, like, ticketed games and um, arcade games. So I played, like, I, there was, like, the Dungeons & Dragons arcade game. Oh, yeah. There was... Those are real good. Those are also very sought after nowadays. Yeah. I have not played one of those until like two years ago. That's very um, cool. So that was probably the game I played the most. And they used to give a deal on like Fridays or something where you gave them 10 bucks and they would give you nail polished quarters as long as you wanted to play. 
like yeah. so you got unlimited play that day and that's how we would we would go in there and actually be able to like beat dungeons and dragons that day or whatever so that was pretty fun and then i think i think there was golden axe there was contra i really enjoyed contra but that game always seemed very hard yeah. um, the arcade version of it's harder than the nintendo version too um Never was very good at any game that had a, a wheel, um, <laughs> a driving wheel. Um, and then, like, the old school wrestling games were kind of, like, dorky, but it was fun because it was like, it's Macho Man. Like, yeah. I'm super into that. So, um, or Doink the Clown. Like, they were really old school wrestling games, so that was kind of fun. Um, I was a big Double Dragon guy. Um, the 7-Eleven by my house had Double Dragon seemed like it was always there and then like maybe another one that rotated out but I must have spent I don't even know how much money I spent on Double Dragon and never 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 could get past this certain point until we had a in where I grew up in Utah we had a place called the Nickel Arcade it cost like a buck 75 to get in and then all the games were a nickel or two nickels so you could beat Double Dragon you could beat Mm -hmm. uh, you know I've beaten a ton of arcade games now but they they were hard. I mean, that was the business model. Obviously, that was that was how they went. So, Double Dragon. I like Spy Hunter a lot too. I like Spy Hunter a lot. Um, and Golden Axe. How about you? Yeah. And the Simpsons game. Oh, I've beaten and, that. Yeah. Um, Ninja Turtles. Like they're the same. They're all the same game. Yeah. And Streets of Rage. Yeah. You own one of those, think. right, Hans? You have the. You have the X Men. X Men. Yeah. I own yeah. the four player X Men. Yeah. Love but that. like so you're good. you're very right. They're all side scroller beat 'em ups from Konami. In, or Konami, however you want to say it, in the early 90s there. And they are uh, plug-and-play. I can take any of the Simpsons, TMNT, uh, Cowboys of Mumesa, Sunset Riders, and dump that oh, in my X-Men Oh, Sunset Riders. Work. I had completely yeah. forgotten about that game. That game is so good. What, what's your favorite yes. arcade game? Like, you have a bunch now, too. So, you like, what's your favorite one you own? Oh, my God. Uh, my favorite one I own is, well, there's the nostalgia favorite, which is Zevius. I love Zevius mm-hmm. because... It was in the donut shop that we'd go to every Sunday morning before church, and I would play that and Dig Dug. Dig Dug and oh, Zevius would Dig sit Dug. next Dig to Dig Dug's so good. I had the cartridge of that on my Commodore, so that's good stuff. That's real good yes. stuff. Um, my favorite favorite, though, of everything I own is probably my Vector Star Wars. Nice. So that's it's the original game. Star Wars. That that game came out in 83, and you know it's the one where you're piloting an X-Wing. Yep. Yeah, I've played that. Uh, and that was the Nicolas first game. one to have digitized Oh, Hans went away. That's so sad. No, I'm here. Oh, there he is. Okay. I must have just dropped for a second. Yeah, so Star Wars and Zebius, I think. That's good stuff. I, I think he actually might have had a harder time choosing his favorite arcade game than if I asked which of his kids he liked better, but yeah. that, that's okay. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, I you know, we could talk every every game in my arcade because I have to take it down two flights of stairs. There's a reason it's in the arcade. You, so You pay someone to do that, right? Yeah, we do, but not at first I didn't because I was poor. <laughs> and I mean, I'm still poor, but I'm less poor now. So. You've got 25 arcade games. It's, you yeah, know, it's, it's, it's a all good about reason to be worth. poor. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, anyways, I think that'll probably wrap up what we're talking about this week. Um, again, we're going to do this about once a month. So if you have ideas, uh, I think we've got a plan out for probably the next two or three episodes. But if there's something you'd like to talk about on Retro Arcades, you know, something you'd like us to uh, to dive into, a game that you really loved, uh, background of things. We're going to kind of play this out and see how it goes as we go. And, uh, you know, give us a heads up. Uh, all the same, you know, socials apply. So bitemepodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook uh, slash bitemepodcast, Twitter slash bitemepodcast, um, Mixer, bitemepodcast. Um, we're on iTunes. We're on uh, 
the Googles. Um, if you're a Patreon of us, patreon.com slash bite me podcast, you're going to get to listen to this a week early. Uh, if not, I guess you'll have to wait a week. So do we have to share the money well, with, with Hans good. now? We'll just send him more stickers. It'll be fine. Should, no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of your Patreon supporters. I know. This is, that, that, that actually yeah, makes it really weird. We have to give like, his money back. We have to give his money back. That's And fair. somewhere in there, we probably <laughs> lost a dime or something to Patreon. So um, We're losing money. Yeah, now. I don't know. I think I want to assume the role of Franz, though, on this show. I, I don't know what that means. What? Hans and Franz. Dylan knows what that oh. means, and Cliff doesn't. Is that, That's, is that an SNL thing? I think it is. Okay. <laughs> All right. I don't know what that means, but I'm I'm in. Okay. All right. Perfect. You have anything else to uh, to add before we go, Hans? Oh, because he's Hans. Okay. Yeah. I'm so, <laughs> ah, Jesus. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anything else to add, Hans? No, sir. All right, Dylan. Until next time. Bye. Excellent.